Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls On Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith. And this week we'll be taking a deep dive into the new film Tenet and asking, does Tenet have a problem with women? Does writer-director Christopher Nolan have a problem with women? On Girls On Film, we believe that representation in mainstream movies is really important. Whether we like them or we love them or somewhere in between, it's crucial that we examine blockbusters for their gender politics. Tenet, of course, stars John David Washington as the protagonist who must prevent a potential World War III involving inversion, a method of reversing the flow of time. Let's have a listen to the trailer for Tenet. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm again here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike's bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion? Name it and pull the trigger. You're not shooting the bullet, you're catching it. Oh. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. Your duty transcends national interests. This is about survival. Seems bold. Bold, I'm fine with. I thought you were gonna say nuts. This is where our worlds collide. How would you like to die? Old. You chose the wrong profession. Well, that from here. Hasn't happened yet. There are people in the future who need us. We need a tenant. We need to save them here and now. This reversing the flow of time. Doesn't us being here now mean it never happened. So we heard from three actresses in that trailer, Clemence Posey, Dimple Capadia, and Elizabeth Debicki, who's actually the lead female, despite not getting to talk in the trailer, you just heard her scream. With me to discuss these women are Wendy Eyde, film critic for The Observer and Screen International, and Kate Muir, the writer and film critic who's also a campaigner for our friends at Bird's Eye View. Welcome to you both. Hi, very pleased to be here on a big occasion where cinemas are reopening. So exactly, exciting stuff. And Wendy, welcome to Girls on Film. It's great to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. 
Well, we are here, as Kate said, to talk about a very big film. And uh, we're going to include sort of minor to moderate spoilers in this. So if you're planning to watch Tenet, maybe uh, watch it first and come back to this conversation. We won't do any huge spoilers. Um, but before we get into the women question, which is, of course, what we're here to talk about, I wanted to ask you both briefly how you felt about the film. Kate, how would you describe your reaction? I was just really excited for that big cinema experience in the IMAX and it was so kinetic. There was so much action and some of it so mad and so uncomprehensible that really I, I, I just enjoyed being there. And then afterwards I began to question the film, but in the moment I felt a kind of great rush of sort of exhilaration. Wendy, what about you? Well, in as much as you can enjoy a film that you're really confused by, yeah, I really did enjoy it. And, you know, I, I, like Kate, I loved that, the scale of it. It felt like pure cinema. And we've been kind of muddling along watching stuff at home, on our computers, on our TVs. But this, this demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. And for that, I loved it. That said, I had a real problem actually getting my head around it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think you're not alone at all. I mean, I'd say it's a film for diehard Nolan fans, primarily not popcorn viewers anyway, because there's so much to decode over multiple viewings. I've seen it twice and I actually think I need to see it again to get my head wrapped up a bit. Um, and it kind of blends that old school James Bond vibe um, with this very dense sci-fi plot, which is quite an, an odd mix. Um, but I think we probably touch on the Bond vibe in our conversation about the women. Um, let's start uh, with, with the main female character. So Elizabeth Debicki is Kat, who is the wife to Kenneth Branagh's arms dealer, Andre Sator. She is a successful career woman and she is a mother and yet she is a total victim. Um, Kate, what did you make of her character? I was really, really irritated by this character because I had great hopes for her because she's a fantastic actress, but she seemed to be repeating her part in The Night Manager, which is really, really weird. And it was that very sort of dictatorial, horrible man owning a woman. And, you know, just as Hugh Laurie did in The Night Manager. And there was sort of, you know, even a torture scene there. And here again, we were having a similar thing that she did not seem to be in anyway in control of her own destiny without giving any spoilers and uh, I was really disappointed by that and I thought she's actually such a fantastic presence she's such a sort of amazing clothes horse she's so powerful and I thought she was wasted I thought someone should have thought about that part a bit more I, I couldn't agree more um, Wendy did you believe in her as a character I, I had I mean this is difficult to discuss without giving away a little bit but I didn't I didn't buy her central um, issue, the reason that her husband had so much control over her. Um, it goes against what we know of her as a career woman. So there's this whole sort of device which... Um, uh, you can say a little bit about that in terms of spoilers. Okay, well, yeah. so there's, yeah. you know, the, the device is that she um, sort of inadvertently or on purpose sold a fake uh, piece of art to her husband, which, I mean, in the beginning is a kind of conflict of her professional um, ethics I would have thought anyway but um, do, did she know it was a fake we're not entirely sure about that um, she claims not anyway he is holding this over her um, and sort of basically threatening to reveal this this fact um, as a way of keeping control over her and keeping her part of the family obviously her son also is a fact. Now, I just didn't buy that. It seems a little bit too contrived um, and, and just didn't really sort of gel with what she is as a person. And this, I think, is a fundamental problem. This whole trophy wife thing as well. I mean, immediately you feel 
you know, she's somewhat questionable. He's so horrible. What would she have ever loved about him? So, you know, did she marry him for the money initially? You know, can we really like a character like that? Can we believe her? And also what's weird, I think, is that Kenneth Branagh, Branagh is 60 and she is 30. And yet again, it's that usual thing. What if it was the other way around and the woman was 60 and the man was 40? And what would that look like? And why is there a marriage like that? And it, it was just unconvincing to me from the points you're saying about her being a career woman and intelligent, that she would marry this kind of guy. It just And then have a baby with him seemed most unlikely. Although my, my only other question here was that they had to keep the baby, the son, in the private school in Hampstead, which I thought was actually really funny. We dedicate our lives to rescuing this kid who's going to, you know, a £6,000-a-term private school somewhere in his little camp, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was quite, quite funny. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, the emphasis on her motherhood, and without major spoilers, a lot of the film's plot actually revolves around her devotion as a mother, which is obviously, you're both mothers, you will understand that. But would either of you like to comment on that, the, the, the fact that the plot puts so much emphasis on that above anything else? It's interesting because that almost is, uh, you know, rather than give her a character, you give her a child. And I feel that there's a lot of that resting, a lot of, of what we know about her rests on the fact that she, you know, is a dedicated mother. She will do anything to stay with her child. Um, it's I find the whole thing very lazy um it's I think symptomatic of a greater malaise I think certainly in terms of Nolan's depiction of women um in that you know he he tends to polarize them he's not very good at having kind of light and shade it's either one or the other I mean she's actually perhaps slightly better than some of his past attempts at having kind of textured female characters uh, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit later but um you know, it, it does feel like a fairly lazy device to just have, you know, the, the, the child as her motivating force. I, I was thinking about this and I'm thinking that the whole Nolan, the Nolan female character that characters in this are all attempts to solve his problem with female characters. So Dimple Kapadia, who plays Priya, who is this kind of person you expect not to be important, but turns out to be kind of an incredible controlling figure in the whole film. And it's assumed that she's a wife, but in fact, she's much more powerful. Um, and that was him going, oh, yes, I should do that. that that'd be really exciting to make a woman powerful instead of what you'd expect to be a wife. And then there's also the woman who's a scientist, Clémence Poesy. Yes, there's a woman in a white coat and she knows some secrets about how it's going to be World War Three, And then you look at Elizabeth Debicki and it's kind of this night manager thing. Again, I keep coming back to that because it just seems to me to be a direct sort of copy from that. And John Le Carre wrote a terrible part in Night Manager for the woman. And somehow that, I think that sort of leaked on into this. Well, I wanted to I'll come, come back to those other characters that you mentioned in a minute, um, but also on the subject of Debicki's character, have you know, I'm sure you noticed that how physically she is restrained at every turn. So not only does she have incredibly, as, as you both pointed out in reviews, amazing clothes, but they are, they are, they sort of almost trap her. And she's like a trapped woman with these enormous heels and these incredibly tight fitting garments. And then she is physically restrained um, by the men on many, many occasions. In, in fact, by our hero included. Um, and then she, she's strapped down. She's, she's attacked. She's literally put to sleep 
to stop her asking questions. You know, she's silenced and, and she's mansplained to constantly. You know, there's that very patronising scene where Neil, played by Robert Pattinson, sits down and sort of goes, well, okay, let me try to explain this to you, dear. You know, and I just thought, oh my gosh, the whole thing is so patronising and... In, initially, I think you could think, oh, it's trying to be symbolic and, and, and show her in, in sort of restraints because that's the way she's treated by her husband. But then I, when it sort of morphed to, you know, the protagonist doing this to her, I started to lose sympathy with it. I think that's really I mean, the good one point. good thing that they do is they use her physical, you know, she is an incredibly sort of, she's like this kind of stretch limousine of a woman. She's so tall, so long. And that wonderful, there's wonder, one wonderful scene where they actually use her, you know, her, her physicality when she uses her incredibly long leg to, uh, to sort of open a car door. Um, and it's like kind of watching Inspector Gadget's leg just extending out. It's, it's really great. So that I liked, but I do t- completely agree with you. She is, um, she's sort of squashed and restrained, um, which, you know, you just kind of want to see her break out and then kick ass with those amazing legs. Well, it's just, I get the leg thing's an interesting one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm sure you could make an argument for that being also quite objectifying. But um, but I clear to hate your point. Um, I'm interested in this in the context of time travel movies, even though it's not strictly time travel, um, because in Back to the Future and Back to the Future Two, they basically um, knock out Marty's girlfriend because <laughs> she's asking too many questions. They put her to sleep. The doc puts her to sleep, and this kind of reminded me of that in, in a sort of very different format. Um, but yeah, that kind of you know, and, and as you might know, I didn't article for garden about why can't women time travel and i feel this is actually sort of repeating those mistakes that films have made so often is just to go oh let let the men have the fun and if the woman's gonna have to come along we better just shut her up mm-hmm. <laughs> i also felt this film was like uh, it just I, I know he's always wanted to make a bond film and this is almost a bond film cut backwards and then cut forwards and yet it has this also it still has the same female cliches as a bond film and I'm just so tired of having this conversation. And you just would have thought, you know, he, he could have made the protagonist, the protagonista, you know, and that would save us all a lot of trouble. And we might have just really enjoyed this film, you know, in, in a much more sort of open, you know, just it would just have made more sense, I think, to, to, to really change the names of one of those parts to a female name, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a little bit of a long way away from making that decision, though, isn't he? I mean, you know, looking at his work so far, you you know, you don't have a woman with agency who is in the central role. You don't really have women who are anything more complicated than just sort of inciting incidents in a lot of the films. So I think you know, it, it, he's just not a, a director or a direct writer director who is comfortable with a strong female protagonist. I don't think we're going to see that from him. What do you think, Wendy, has been his um, finest hour in terms of female protagonists prior to this one? Is, is this relatively the best or is it, where, where does it Well, sit? I'd say, actually, this does seem like an improvement. I mean, I don't know whether, are you familiar with the term fridging? Do you know what this is? No. Okay, fridging dates back, I think, to um, a, green, a Green Hornet comic. Um, and it refers to when the protagonist comes back the, and his, his nemesis has killed his girlfriend, shoved her in a fridge. So fridging refers to when um, a female, the female girlfriend or wife is killed to give the male, you know, the male character something to be angsty about and something to sort of avenge. So he, Nolan, has done this time and again. So, you know, from following, there's a dead character in that, Memento, 
is all about dead characters, the dead wife, the dead wife who doesn't even get a name. She's just called yeah. Leonard's wife in the credits. Um, the Prestige, there's two dead wives in that. Um, Dark Knight, Dark Rises, Dark Knight Rises is, you know, I think the inciting uh, thing that not only turns Batman even more angsty than he already was, but also, uh, you know, I think messes with the head of several other male characters is the death of uh, Julia McCulloch. No, sorry, Rachel Dawes. Um, and then Inception, there's another de- wife who dies, I think, about three times in various different in- incarnations. So, I mean, he does it again and again and again. And then really, it's, it's sort of rather tiring. Yeah, I think someone's complained to him, haven't they, at this point? Because with Interstellar, he did give Jessica Chastain a sort of okay role. She had, you know, she had something there. Um, uh, but obviously then he came back to Dunkirk. I can't remember there being any women in Dunkirk at all, but maybe that's... Oh, there's that's a nurse. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a nurse in Dunkirk and that's it. But I mean, she has that one line. Yeah, I think it's yeah. one line. Yeah, yeah. It's true. I, I do think that it is, it is a conversation that's been getting louder regarding Nolan. And if you look at Twitter at the moment, people are starting to talk, people who've gone to cinema, not just critics, are starting to talk about exactly what we're talking about now, you know, in the context of his films. Um, and, you know, the dead wife trope, as you rightly point out, Wendy, is, is a big one. Um, do you think there are any mitigating factors of the other female characters? Because, I mean, Wendy, talk to me a little bit about Dimple Kapadia. Well, no, I think that's really interesting casting. And I, you know, I, t- I completely agree with, uh, with Kate in, in that it does feel slight, slightly more interesting. But the casting, if you know about Dimple Kapadia, she uh, was a, a well, virtually a child star. She had her first role at the age of 16, which was Bobby, which was a smash hit. And then she met and married someone at the age of 16 and retired at the age of 16 to become a wife and mother. Then she eventually, she left the husband and started her career again and became you know, the star that we now see. Uh, but I like the fact that they cast Dimple Kapadia in that role because in a way there is a, you know, a little bit of a, a reference, I think, to the fact that you know, it's turning the tables. The husband, her husband in this film is this kind of little background character who doesn't really actually, he has no agency whatsoever. He just kind of floats around as a kind of a, a front for her. And she's doing all the kind of machinations in the background. I think yeah, it's interesting casting. Um, I also I really I enjoyed her as a, a a screen presence because I mean to be honest, she's an older woman, and that's great to see to see you know woman woman of color, older woman, and also woman with a kind of an interesting kind of back history in a role like that. So I'm you know I'm very happy with that piece of casting. Um, the character, well, I mean she, she's she's. He, he doesn't tend to give people um, much uh, light and shade, as I've already mentioned. So, yeah, she's, I think she's pretty much a bad character, isn't she? So, uh, yeah, his women are either one thing or the other, and she's definitely the other. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody gets much of a backstory, but then to be fair, John David Washington as the protagonist doesn't get much of a backstory. So I guess, you know, as you say, it's just his, his way in a way. Um, Kate, you mentioned Clemence Posey, who I normally really like um, as an actress, but I found her performance in this really very odd and bland. What did you think? It it seemed a bit empty and it sounded like she was delivering the lines that had to make sense to explain the film to, which was, you know, there's going to be a kind of third world war. Is it going to be a Holocaust? No, it's going to be much worse than the nuclear Holocaust. What's it going to be? And she was just there to kind of put these layers into the film, but there was no point to what she did. And she was just doing kind of show and tell thing, but she could have been a robot. It really, really did not matter at all who she was and and again she she was just a sort of shell of a character and and she uses you know so many of his characters just to explain things like 
Dimple Kapadia says of the whole situation, don't try to understand it, feel it, which is, you know, why we can all get away with watching this film that makes no sense whatsoever to any of us. What do you think about the Nolan fans who are defending him on Twitter? Because obviously he's got a lot of hardcore fans who get very upset when anyone criticises him. I mean, Kate, um, what, what would you say to them with regards to this debate? Well, he's a sort of god for geeks. And, you know, we have to agree here, he is a great big screen filmmaker. And, you know, his dedication to 70mm, to IMAX, to putting himself out there and taking this risk of putting this film back in cinemas, you know, presumably the studios made him do it. But the fact that he is, is holding cinema in his hands at this second, I think is important. And he should get some credit for being a great filmmaker. He's just not a great uh, writer of women's parts. And were he to maybe get a female co-writer, you know, he might up his game a great deal and make his films richer and more profound. And I also think his male parts are quite thinly written too. I mean, you know, as you said, the protagonist you don't quite get who he is the whole way through the film. Um, Robert Patterson's role has a sort of cliched kind of Englishman kind of languid kind of, there's something and Patterson makes a lot of it. But I mean, it, it's very flat in terms of characterization, this film, because that's really not what he does. He does philosophical time travel and brilliant action sequences. And that's the guy he is. That's, that's what he does. Wendy, what do you think about the relationship between Kenneth Branagh's character and his wife? Um, I mean, we've touched on this, but I, I'm interested to know whether you think, is it believable? Uh, well, gosh, um, that's a very interesting question. I mean, is, is it believable? No, it's not really as we see it, because he's such a terrible, terrible person. Even his accent is terrible. But yeah. you know, he, he's just this murderous, like, evil, evil person. Um, so did he, that, did he become that? Was he always that? You know, we have to assume that she fell in love with him because she's with him. Now, does that mean that he has somehow morphed into this terrible person or was terribleness always there within him? And, and then, you know, what was it about him that she fell in love with? I've, I've really, I've had a real struggle getting my head around this whole relationship. Um, I mean, there were many things I struggled to understand in the film, but that this, this issue was something that directly impacted on my enjoyment of the film. Um, you know, there's the whole question of does she has, have agency as a character? And, you know, people are arguing, yes, actually she does. But I don't know whether she does as well. And I think that's always a problem if you have a character who's that just there to sort of to be a, a device rather than an actual character. And, you know, in this case, it does feel that the strings are being pulled by the husband who's just awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Kate, thoughts on that? I think a lot of it is just she was cast for her image. Uh, and, and, you know, exactly what you were saying about the constrained suits and everything she's wearing. And, and I think she, he knew she'd be amazing on screen, which she is, you know, and her body is amazing. And, you know, it's so much part of her acting. And I think that's what he wanted from this character. And beyond that, there wasn't much thinking done. <laughs> I think that that's what we've got.
Um, the fact we're having these discussions and poking, poking at these big films, I think is incredibly important. We need to keep doing it. We need to make a wider discussion. We shouldn't just sit and review the film, but, you know, dissect the characters and, you know, really enjoy a kind of English literature version of, of pulling something apart and unpacking it. And I think the more we unpack these big films, maybe the better the next ones will be. I hope so. I hope that Christopher Nolan is listening and taking constructive <laughs> criticism from these kind of conversations, not perhaps on a specific podcast. You never know. Um, now, is there anything else you wanted to touch upon on tenets? Because I also want to ask you both what you've been watching, if there's anything else you'd recommend. But any more tenet thoughts? I mean, I'm sure we could go on. I just wanted to say something about the Clement um, Poesy performance, which... In a way, you could read that as it's a completely thankless role. All she does is deliver exposition and explanation. So maybe the performance, which is incredibly flat and just sort of direct, maybe that's her just going, well, you know, what do you want me to do with it? Maybe, maybe it's her, her kind of actually you know, holding up two fingers to this kind of fairly rubbish role in a, in a, a, a film and, and delivering a completely flat performance because it is a flat character. I, I like I like that theory because I, I I thought it must be something to do with the direction or or the writing because she is such a great actress so it was very mm. strange I felt like she'd been or, or she'd been told to deliver it in a, in a really strange oddly flat way but considering it was meant to be a really exciting piece of information in theory um, yeah that 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 was very odd to me um, and yeah a lot a lot of the the exposition is very flat when it should be exciting you know I mean this this is time twisting it's it, things you know going backwards through time that should be exciting instead of being quite you know serious and drab but um yeah that's a good point Clemence we love you <laughs> um now okay let's let's um say I mean would you re still recommend people go to see Tenet if people are listening and um you know considering seeing it Yes, absolutely, because it's a spectacle. It's obviously it's not perfect, as, you know, as we've established. There are many problems on this level, but on many other levels, it works brilliantly. And you know, just for the fact that you know it's it's so huge and so ambitious and so um, brain melting. Yes, I think people should go and see it. Kate, agreed? Yeah, I agree, actually. And you were saying you'd seen it twice, Anna, which was very brave. But I think you could see it twice. You know, the first time to sort of play with the time travel, the second time to look at the characters, maybe. Yeah. And really, you, we, you know, and, and question them. So, so there is, you know, I would send people to see this film because I think it just makes you feel like, oh, God, I really want to be in cinemas again. And I think that really matters to all of us as much as anything else. Yeah, and I actually liked it more on second viewing. It's interesting because, as you say, there's so much exposition. You're just trying to concentrate and get everything in. And the first time, there's so much distracting you. The second time, when you know a bit more what's happening, you can kind of spot lots of details as well. So it, it is great for Nolan fans who want to look out for lots of tiny little clues and details and decode a puzzle. Um, so as you say, cinemas are reopened. Hooray. Um, Kate, is there anything else that you would recommend at the moment that you've been watching that people can go see? Um, this week, I quite like the Xavier Dolan film. Mm. Um, and I also saw Amy Simons' She Dies Tomorrow, 
was terribly disappointed by uh, Amy's assignments and it's got some quite good reviews. But I think that's that terrible thing of watching things at home on a small screen, which we're all doing. And I, I thought that that is the sort of film that really you could only immerse yourself in the cinema. And I was kind of ready to throw things at the screen because I just thought this is so long-winded, so pretentious. Why doesn't it just pull its socks up and get its act together? And, you know, I'm always being pro-female directors and I love Amy Simons. I think she's a really interesting actor. And, you know, I, I was dead keen to be pro it. And then I, I just was so disappointed by the kind of self-indulgence. Really? I really liked it. I think maybe on small screens we yeah. don't need to be self-indulgent anymore. I think you've got, I think you're tackling your audience at the second in a different way, you know, in time of COVID and you've got to hang on to them. You can't just have them, they're not going to be wallowing in the dark. And of course that was written for wallowing in the dark. Yeah. And it, it, you know, on your telly, it doesn't quite do the same thing. That was interesting. Now, I, I really liked it. Did you, uh, did you see it, Wendy? She dies tomorrow. I did, and I'm with Kate on this, actually. I, I, it right. didn't work for me at all. And I'm in the minority. I think we are in the minority, Kate. Um, lots of people like it, and that's great. That they found something to, to, to grab hold of. But it, it just felt... Um, it washed over me. It didn't really leave much of a lasting impression, um, and I found it slightly irritating. So, yeah, it, it, it really didn't work for me. That said, I mean, if we're going to talk about female directors, uh, it's been out for a couple of weeks, but Baby Teeth still remains to me one of the highlights of the year. Um, I mean, obviously, people saw it last year in, in Venice. Uh, I only caught up with it recently when it was released, and I just think, God, what a film. What a performance from Eliza Scanlon. Yeah. Beautiful direction. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the use of colour, the use of music, it's just bravura filmmaking I and mean, it really feels properly exciting and I I loved it I absolutely loved it and I cried so hard that my mask was oh. I was literally waterboarding myself with my own tears <laughs> I love that film so much we, we actually have a special episode with Eliza Scanlon that's just come out um an interview and a review of Baby Teeth with with Larushka so um yeah she's amazing I, t I, I couldn't agree more it's an extraordinary film did you see that one Kate yeah and it's a first time feature isn't it which yeah. is gobsmacking because it is just so accomplished amazing yeah it is uh, a great time actually for female directors we do seem to have a lot of women working it and as has been said before you know we don't have to love them all that's okay it's just great that they're all being made anything Absolutely. else anything else to recommend to people I don't know whether I'm allowed to recommend what I've been watching because I'm seeing a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of kind of festival things, um, yeah. which I think at the moment still under embargo. But I can say there are some really great things coming up that will be launched at the autumn festivals, either remotely at Toronto, which is happening as a sort of hybrid. Venice is a natural physical festival, but there's definitely some very exciting stuff coming up. So watch this space. Excellent. Yes. And of course, the BFI London Film Festival um, lineup is going to be announced soon. But they've already announced Ammonite, which I'm really looking forward to. Francis Lee's film um, with Saoirse Ronan and Kate Winslet. So, yeah, that's high on my list to view as soon as I can. Um, well, listen, thank you both so much for coming on and chatting about Tenet. It's been really interesting to uh, dissect this with you both. And um, will you both come back on Girls on Film again soon, please? Thank Absolutely. you. Thanks for joining us on Girls on Film and thanks to our executive producer, Heather Archbold, our assistant producer, Heather Dempsey, our principal partner, Peter Brewer, and this episode's audio producer, Tom Wally. Girls on Film has a Patreon page where you can give a small amount each month to support us. Just the price of a coffee would be super appreciated. Go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. 
Please subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out our special film shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Wendy Eyde and Kate Muir. See you soon and stay safe, everyone. Some men just want to watch the world burn.